Well, welcome everybody to Envisioning the New Normal. This is the second interview in the series and I have with me today Mike Peterson, who is a Central Hawke's Bay farmer, a company director, uh, former chair of Beef and Lamb, and uh, for six years he was also New Zealand's envoy um, for agriculture. Have I got that right, Mike? That's right, Robin. Yes, um, a travelling envoy for the New Zealand agri-food sector, which was an incredible privilege, but certainly gave me a lot of insights into market trends and what's happening offshore. Yeah, perfect. So I'm very excited to have uh, Mike um, up as our second speaker. I'm from a rural background myself. In fact, Mike and I grew up, our families pretty close together down in central Hawke's Bay. Um, so just a little bit of background for me on how this all started. Um, I've been in the leadership development business for nearly t well, 20 years as a facilitator, consultant, coach. And last year I had an epiphany. Um, the planet was in crisis and uh, I wanted to devote the rest of my working career to doing something about that. It seemed to me that we were all sitting around while the Titanic was going down, uh, merrily drinking at the bar, and nobody was jumping up in arms too much except the greenies. So um, I took it upon myself to, to be part of changing the consciousness of leaders in my network, and uh, more broadly, if possible. So this is an initiative um, towards that. And um, it seems to me that COVID-19 has come along um, well, as a huge uh, inconvenience and, and, and a tragedy for many people, um, but uh, also as, as an incredible opportunity because many of the things that we're being forced into as a result of COVID-19 needed to happen anyway for the health of the planet. So I'm referring to things like uh, reducing emissions because we're not flying around in, in planes and driving around in our cars and consuming less because we're staying at home. Many of us are on a, a greatly restricted income and so we're having to stretch our resources. So the, these, are, these are good things that, um, in my opinion, we could piggyback on uh, for the greater good of um, saving the planet. And, uh, and essentially saving the species. So um, what I'm interested in doing in the series of talks is, is um, getting inside the minds of, of some of our thought leaders around what the new normal could look like. It's a term that's been bandied around a lot in recent weeks. And it's my view that if we really do want to use this opportunity to change, we need to create a collective vision of what that's going to look like. Because if we don't have a clear vision, we won't be able to make it happen. So, um, Mike, my two questions are, what's your vision of the new normal? And I'm, I'm talking globally, nationally, and locally. Um, and how do we make... <coughs> with the vision piece first. Over to you. Thanks, Robin, and, and look, thanks for the opportunity. And, and look, I think uh, in amongst uh, the human health crisis that we've got here, which we're all terribly, uh, terribly sad about in many ways, but all desperately trying to uh, make sure we can beat uh, what has become known as COVID-19, um, you know, we are going to see a new normal. And, and I think that uh, the reality is that I think the world was heading to a very much better place uh, than it was in the past. Um, but uh, this event, I think, is going to give us uh, an extra kickstart 
uh, to think much more deeply about uh, what does our environment look like? You know, what does our behavior look like? Um, how do we act? Uh, you know, what do we want to do and leave, the, leave behind us when we go? Um, what does the plan look like for our future uh, kids and our grandkids? And, and I think that those sort of questions are going to be, um, you know, very much more real now that we've got COVID-19 as, as a bit of a lightning rod for change. Excellent. Um, so could you get a little bit specific, a bit more specific, Mike, about your vision? So you've mentioned um, it's about what the environment looks like. It's about our, our behaviour. Um, it's about how we do business. So paint a picture for me, a vision of what you would like to, to see be different as a result of this. Well, I think I think it does start with our behaviours, and I think that this has been a, an incredible time for a reset. And look, I hope we don't all slip back to what we we're doing in the past. But but I think about uh, you know driving from my home here in Waipakurau, um to the airport and flying to Wellington for a day for a meeting, and then flying back home again and and driving back home. And I'm doing all of these meetings on Zoom and other social media, you know, other. Uh, interactive media and it's working fantastically well so you know I mean our behaviors I think will be really important um, when I think about um, you know some of the effects that that's going to have on um, climate change for example reducing our carbon footprint um, it, it almost is like we have all got sucked into a bit of a, a tidal wave of everyone having to hop on a car or hop on a plane and go and do stuff um, whereas we've actually found in this period of lockdown okay we're only two weeks into it but you know, we've actually found that this has been uh, been a, a very, very good way to reset and rethink our behaviours and, and our values. So I think that's been a good thing. But I think in the, in the area of agriculture and food production, I, I think we are going to see an acceleration of, you know, what we should and shouldn't be doing. Um, and as I say, this was underway before, um, particularly moves around uh, climate change with the zero carbon bill that's um, now taking effect in New Zealand and some of the policy settings um, that are going to change the way uh, we act and behave when it comes to uh, the future climate. Okay, so so you're saying those things were already in train anyway and um, that, that, that COVID-19, if anything, has just given us a bit of a, a push along in that regard. Okay, so Mike, what in, in what ways would you like to see agriculture uh, change for the greater good? I mean, agriculture um, you know, gets the finger pointed at it by a lot of people for being um, uh, the cause of some of these uh, climate problems. I know that you have a, um, um, a progressive view on how you see uh, New Zealand agriculture developing in the future, and that view of yours very much embraces the environment. So. Um, I think it's really important that people hear how can agriculture and the environment live hand in hand um, for the betterment of both. Can you expand on that for us? Well, firstly, I think it's important to understand New Zealand in the context of the world of food. And we are a very, very small producer of food in a global context, even in dairy farming, for example. Uh, New Zealand produces only about 3% of the world's um, dairy, uh, you know, dairy produce. So we're very, very small in a production sense. Um, and the thing about us, of course, is that we only have 5 million people here in New Zealand. So we produce enough food for about 40 million people all up, which means we export 
about 90% of everything we produce. So people talk about New Zealand as, um, you know, being a country that could feed the world. And of course, nothing could be further from the truth. You know, 40 million people out of a global population of 9 billion. And, uh, and the reality is, I've always said that we should just be focusing on selling our high quality, uh, high integrity food uh, to the people who don't ask the price. That's the people who really value internationally what New Zealand is and what we can do. And, and in particular, um, trusts, you know, our food safety systems, our production methods, uh, our supply chain uh, to make sure that we can get uh, the very best quality food to, to the most discerning consumers. And so that's a, I mean, I think that we need to start from the consumer first and foremost. And, and so you define what those consumers are looking for because they are looking for um, food they can trust. Um, how often do you see people now looking at labels on the back of supermarkets when they never used to do that? Where does this product come from? How's it been produced? What are the food safety standards? And, and of course, what does the climate footprint look like? Um, what does the environmental footprint look like overall when it comes to the impact of uh, food, this type of food production on things like water quality and nutrient management? All of these things now are so critically, critically important. And uh, if we don't get these right, um, consumers have choice and they will go to other products instead of ours. Right. So you're, you're saying that consumers, especially top-end top consumers, will in the higher price bracket. Um, I don't mean the people themselves. <laughs> consumers of top quality and pricey products are becoming more uh, discerning about how and where those, uh, those products were produced, and we should be playing into that. How make the connection between uh, how is that better for the environment if we do that? Well, importantly, we, we need to recognise, of course, that we re reached a cap in production in New Zealand. Uh, we now have the point where, you know, we don't have any more land we can bring into production. All of the pressure now is around, you know, reducing the intensity of farming, particularly mm -hmm. livestock farming on, uh, on New Zealand land. So um, our environmental um, ceiling has been reached. And so if New Zealand is going to earn more from what it does in agriculture or agri-food, then it has to, the only way it can do that is by um, earning more value from that product, from what is going to be an increasingly capped physical amount of product that we can produce. And that is what drives us to make sure that we produce food um, that is sought after by the most discerning consumers. Um, we will not survive in a game where we're trying to uh, be the lowest cost producer of food in the world. We can't compete with South America in that regard where they have scale, um, which we simply don't have. And so when it comes down to value, then we need to make sure that we meet those very demanding requirements of those consumers who are prepared to pay top dollar um, for our higher value products. Okay, so, so I'm getting the, the, the clear picture. It's about producing less, but producing high quality and for a higher price. Um, okay, now, so we're getting into the how question now. So given that you talked a few paragraphs at the back about changing our behavior and flying around less and driving less, um, you know, I've heard it, heard it said that there's a fair amount of uh, carbon footprint 
that goes into the production of agricultural products. And sure, if we're producing less than supposedly um, a lighter carbon footprint, but nonetheless, um, you know, even even growing grass-fed animals requires paddocks to be tilled, it requires trucks driving around full of fertilizer, etc., etc., transporting animals to the works, shipping those animal products overseas. So, can you comment on how we can rein all that in um, to for, to have a lighter carbon footprint? No, it's a very good point because because certainly, um, see, New Zealand has one of the lowest carbon footprints in the world when it comes to food production. Our natural grass-fed systems are very efficient in a global sense. And in fact, one of the arguments around the Zero Carbon Act coming into play here in New Zealand has been that if you reduce food production here in New Zealand, you drive it to countries that have a higher carbon footprint, and that's not good for the planet. So I think there's a couple of points here that are quite important. Um, firstly, um, we are the lowest cost producer of nearly every one of our livestock, uh, nearly every one of our agricultural products uh, in New Zealand. Sorry, nearly every one of our agricultural products that we produce in New Zealand. So we are already, you know, if not the lowest, then certainly in the top two or three uh, for every product. And Secondly, just, the cost. Sorry, just to interrupt there, is that because we grass feed our animals? Is that the main reason why? Uh, that's one part of it. But the second part is that we have uh, an industry that has been focusing on being the most efficient food producer in the world because we do not have government support. Now, other countries in the world that have uh, financial support for their farmers, there's less incentive to be efficient, as it, unlike in New Zealand. Right. So we just recognise if we're not the most efficient producer, then, and then we, we will not survive as a business. Um, that's just the reality of farming in a world without subsidies. Okay. So, sorry, I interrupted. So the second point is actually getting... Pro get, getting so the second point is um, getting product to the market um, by vote actually is relatively carbon efficient. And there was um, a series of work uh, done um, by Lincoln University a number of years ago now, which is due for a renewal which actually demonstrated that the cost of shipping product thousands of kilometres around the world um, was actually a, a lot less than a carbon footprinting um, framework than a consumer driving to the supermarket in their local town uh, to get their groceries every day or every week. So, you know, I think we need to put this into context that actually most of the carbon footprint occurs at the consumer end, uh, not at the end of production and, and shipping the products to the market. And of course, the other point we have now in New Zealand, which has been a real bonus and a benefit through COVID-19, is our relative isolation to a small country in the bottom of the South Pacific was a disadvantage. Now we're finding actually it has a whole lot of advantages as well, uh, not just from a human health aspect, but a biosecurity aspect as well. Okay. Well, that all sounds pretty rosy. Um, what do you say to those who believe that we should be eating either no meat or, or very little meat and, um, and dairy produce? I mean, there's a huge increase in, in veganism and vegetarianism. How, how, talk to me yep. about that. Absolutely. Look, and look, I, I just see that as being you know, a fact of life. I've actually been less concerned about the plant-based proteins or the alternative proteins uh, than many others here in New Zealand. Um, because, you know, I recognise that 
uh, there are changing diets. There's no question about that. Um, we are actually all le eating less meat than we did certainly 20 years ago. That's just a fact of life as well. But we need to come back to the fact that New Zealand does not need to feed the world. New Zealand just needs to feed about 40 million people in the world. And so the most important thing for us is to be the best producer um, that uh, has the best story, that has the highest level of integrity, uh, and does the things that the discerning consumers want. And uh, if we do that and get our story right, um, then New Zealand's place in the world of food is well assured and uh, we should work really hard to keep it that way. Okay, that's, that's, that's great. I mean, I'm certainly feeling very grateful at the moment that we are capable of feeding so many people. One of the comforting things about these times is that we're not going to run out of food, as Jacinda, as Jacinda told us. Mike, um, given this, this, this picture that you paint, and it's coming through quite clearly to me, where um, we produce a high-quality product that is uh, considerate of the environment. We sell it at a high price to a discerning customer um, and we're efficient about our production methods. Where do you think we are at the moment? Like, um, this is perhaps an unfair question, but on a scale of 10, if 10 was your vision of how, it could, how good we could be at that, where do you think we are at the moment? Well, I think this is the point. I think we have some work to do. So it's all very well talking about where we need to be, but we still do have some work to do. There's no question about that. Um, and so, look, I would only put us at around, you know, five or six or seven out of ten, you know, somewhere in that range. Um, because I t I'll tell you why. I think, I think we need to make sure that we are um, more effective at actually uh, recording and demonstrating, you know, how our farming practices um, do not disturb the environment. Um, we need to um, really pick up on the practice change that's happening in, in an environmental sense uh, in a whole lot of other areas about where we can improve to make sure we're continuing this process of improvement that's so important. Um, because if you sit still in this business, then others will catch up. Um, we need to also do a lot more work around the story. Um, and so we need to make sure we package that up. And there's some very good work happening there uh, that was underway before COVID-19 uh, with um, the work that Lane Jag has been leading and the tyre concept um, that, that is just getting underway. So there's a whole lot more work we need to do. And that's going to also, that's going to require a number of the enablers, a number of tools to be developed to make sure we can do that properly. Um, there's a lot of work around uh, a lot more granular farm mapping so we can actually map the land resource that we farm. How do we uh, successfully integrate um, retirement of fragile land and increase production of, of productive land, you know, on farms? There's a whole lot of work happening in that area, but that needs to happen as well because it all needs to combine into providing the integrity and the trust and the transparency that um, New Zealand farming is and can be for the world. So I still think there's some work to do. Let's say six out of 10. Um, and to me, that's the opportunity, of course, um, in that getting through this and actually making sure we develop that to a higher degree. Okay. And, and just, just finally, Mike, because we, we're probably running out of attention span for the average listener here, but um, in, in terms of the leadership that is required in order to achieve these things, you've been very clear. Thank you. We need more, um, correct me if I got this wrong, more effective recording and, and demonstrating of our supply chain, if you, if you like, our chain 
uh, from farm to market. Um, we need to pick up on this on the environmental practice change and actually get behind that, make it happen. Um, and we need to get better at telling at telling our story. In terms um, of the the leadership around that, do you think is there any one sector? So, you know, so is that government? Is it individual farmers? Is it um, groups representing farmers? Where where does the leadership need to be for this? Look, I, I think this this very much has to be industry led. And so this is not just industry groupings or groups, um, but it needs to be company-led as well and, and individual-led. So this is, we all have a collective responsibility here um, to show leadership in every piece of activity that we carry out. Um, and so, you know, there is, you can't point the finger at, at, at anyone and say it's your job to do it. Um, we collectively have to pick up the baton here. Um, I've noticed a huge change in the industry around um, particularly the leaders recognising what needs to be done. Um, and so now I just think we need to get on and do it, but we need to help people through this. We need to provide a framework where, you know, farmers don't, for example, fail an audit. We want to make sure that they pass an audit. So how do we actually help those farmers who may find this a bit difficult get through uh, and get on, on the um, pathway towards um, the, the sort of farm and producing what we need to produce? So, you know, this is, um, this is all of our responsibility, to be honest, and um, everyone can do something individually that makes a huge difference to the collective group. Yes, and including we, the consumer, I'm hearing very clearly that uh, we could walk or bike to the supermarket to buy our meat, um, uh, as, as opposed to driving our cars there. Or we could order it online, which many of us are, are doing now. Um, uh, under COVID-19. So uh, that's excellent, Mike. It's been really, really interesting talking to you. Is there anything that you would like to add before we finish? No, just other than to say that, um, you know, when we look at a difficult time for many people, and of course we recognise that um, a number of businesses and, and people will lose jobs you know, right through this um, crisis we're dealing with at the moment. Um, and so we're going to have to be really good as a nation in trying to bring the country together um, as farmers and producers and of food. Um, we recognise that we're in a beneficial position and being deemed an essential industry, of course, mm. um, which means that we can continue to operate throughout this crisis. Um, we're not taking that lightly. Um, feeding New Zealanders first and foremost is our number one priority. Um, but we do want to make sure that we keep the wheels turning uh, so when we get through COVID-19 that we're in, in much better shape. Uh, they always say, um, don't waste, uh, don't, you know, don't waste a good opportunity, don't waste a crisis as a, as a good opportunity. Um, so, you know, we should make sure we look and learn about our behaviour change through all this um, and uh, make us uh, a better place and, and us a better place for the world. Absolutely. Well said. Well, thank you so much for your time, Mike. Uh, very much appreciated and uh, uh, look forward to meeting up down the track sometime. Thanks, Robin.